Good morning, Calvary family. I want to invite you to open to Isaiah chapter 40. We're continuing our study of this marvelous section. Appreciate how Sam pointed out that this is the Old Testament gospel of grace. As you are turning there, I want to remind you that one of our seven core values here at Calvary Bible Church is expository preaching. That means that I typically am preaching passage by passage through a book of the Bible. And we also see an important role for topical preaching. Men like Charles Spurgeon were well known for blessing the church through topical messages. But typically about 90% of Sundays we're going passage by passage through a book of the Bible. And so it's the next text which determines what I'm going to preach on. It's not like I'm sitting in my office trying to decide what to preach on. One of the things that never ceases to amaze me is how the next text, just the one that from a human standpoint I happen to be on, but we know is in the providence of God, so often the next text speaks directly to a need in my life or in the need of the church or in the world, and I think that this week is no different. We're going to be in Isaiah 40 verses 3 through 11, a messianic prophecy about the coming of the good shepherd. And this week, I think we need this message in particular. This week, we've all been shocked and appalled by the horrific massacres perpetuated on civilians by terrorists from the Hamas death cult. I've had the opportunity in recent years on a number of occasions to worship with Christian believers in a wonderful evangelical church in southern Israel, as well as visit several others. We have close friends who live right in the epicenter of these events, and just as recently as a couple days ago, they still couldn't go outside of their apartments because of the incoming rocket fire and because terrorists were still roaming the streets of their city. The same day that attack began on October 7th, The exact same day as that happened in Israel, our other friends in Ukraine had a cruise missile land near their apartment building and the shockwave blew out windows on about half of the building. This is the same apartment building where we lived and raised our kids when we ministered there. Back in 2015 when Dr. Provost asked us to come off the field to help him at the SGA home office in Illinois, we decided not to sell our apartment, but instead to use it as housing for Ukrainian church planters. And so we have dear friends who are leading a church planting movement in Ukraine who live in our apartment there. In the kind providence of God, those dear friends were away on a ministry trip when that cruise missile struck. We're also grateful that our, our wing or our side of the building was protected from the shockwave by the other wing of the building and so that apartment is not damaged so they still have somewhere to live and we're grateful for that. But on the same day, friends in two different countries, both under missile and rocket attack and so certainly these events uh, hit close to home for us. There's a commonality though between these two events that I want to share with you. A friend of mine from Israel forwarded to me a video released by Hamas and in it 
the terrorists are attacking and they're speaking to one another and you can hear some of them speaking in Arabic to one another as you might expect but the reason that this video so grabbed my attention is because there's the voice of the person behind the camera as well as several of the other attackers was speaking a language that I know they were speaking Russian there are of course we know deep political financial and military connections between Russia and Iran and there are well-known and deep connections between Iran and the terrorist groups that target Israel such as Hamas and Hezbollah Iran right now is supplying Russia with thousands of Shahid drones the Russians are launching those at Ukrainian cities and Iran also has been supplying Hamas with weapons and rockets and financing and training interestingly in the attack on Israel Sophisticated jamming equipment was used to prevent Israeli border guards from sounding the alert. We don't know who gave them this jamming equipment, but it's very complex equipment, takes a lot of expertise to operate. And perhaps, we of course can't know for sure, but perhaps the Russian voices on the Hamas video might provide a clue where that equipment and training came from. So you have kind of these two wars and Involvement by Russia and Iran in those wars. And these, this grabs our attention because most scholars believe that in end times events, Russia and Iran will have a key role. It's also interesting that both Israel and Ukraine are under attack because they share a commonality, and I just want to explain it to you. Israel is, of course, the God-ordained homeland of the Jewish people, and it's called the Promised Land for a reason. It was promised to them by God. But Ukraine shares a commonality with Israel. Ukraine has always been, going deep many centuries back, been one of the largest popula Jewish populations of the diaspora in the world. In fact, by some estimates, up to one quarter of the people currently living in Israel are Jews who lived in what is now modern Ukraine who returned to Israel from there. In fact, when I visit Israel, I speak sometimes in English, but most of the time I speak in Russian because so many of the people from southern Ukraine are Russian speaking and they are now living in Israel and they're planting churches. Many of them are Christian believers. Ukraine, by the way, is home to the largest and most evangelistically active Christian church movements in Europe. Ukraine is sending more missionaries both to Muslim countries and to Jewish countries like Israel than any other country in the world. So it's no wonder that these two countries are the repeated targets of irreconcilable demonic hatred. Most biblical scholars, as I mentioned, believe that Russia and Iran have a prominent role in the end times prophecies involving Gog and Magog. So when those two countries are involved in attacks on countries with large Jewish populations, either directly or through their proxies, it should definitely grab our attention. And I believe it should grab our attention. Now, I want to be clear at the outset that these events are not the fulfillment of any specific biblical prophecy, at least not yet. But I also don't think it's a coincidence that these two countries are under attack 
one diabolical evil, a hatred of God's chosen people, and a desire to prevent the gospel from reaching those people is behind both. So again, these world events are not the fulfillment of prophecy, but they are an example, I think, of the wars and rumors of wars that Jesus said should grab our attention. They should grab our attention. They should wake us up from our spiritual lethargy. They should cause us to share the gospel much more urgency, realizing that the hour draws near. And they should cause us to make sure that we personally are ready to meet the Lord. No one knows the day or the hour of his coming. But these are things that should get our attention and cause us to get ready for the coming of the Lord. And that's exactly what our text for this morning is all about. In Isaiah 43 through 11, the Lord wants to get our attention. He wants to wake us up from our spiritual lethargy. He wants us to raise up our voice and be publicly evangelistic. And he wants us to be sure that we're ready to meet him in the air, and that can occur at any time. Read with me Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 11. A messianic prophecy given 700 years before the first coming of Christ. A voice is calling. Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. Let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, call out. Then he answered, what shall I call out? All flesh is grass and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our God stands forever. Get yourself up on a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news. Lift up your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with might, with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. First thing I want you to notice about this passage is that it's organized around three voices calling out. In verse three it says, a voice is calling. And in verse six it says, a voice says, call out. And in verse nine it says, lift up your voice mightily. And so the passage is organized around these three mentions of the term voice. And that is the main idea of this passage. A voice needs to sound. The voice of the gospel needs to go forth. 
In the midst of all of the hatred, all of the violence, all of the suffering, all of the confusion of this fallen world, a voice needs to be heard. A voice needs to ring out which is calm and clear. The voice of hope, the voice of truth, the voice of the gospel of Jesus Christ. These are not the times to hunker down. These are not the times to quiet our voices, to keep our mouths shut, and to go along to get along. This is not the time to hold some vain hope that the terrible evils that are sweeping across our world will somehow simply pass us by. No, this is the time to get up on a high mountain. This is the time, as Jesus said, to declare from the housetops what he whispers in our ear. This is the time to not hide the lamp, but to let its light shine and fill the whole house. This is the time to call out, to raise the voice of the gospel. Now, if you remember back in Isaiah chapter 6, the Lord asked a question which I am sure rang in the mind and the ears of Isaiah the rest of his life. In Isaiah 6, 8, says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? See, Isaiah heard the voice of the Lord, chapter 6. Now in chapter 40, he says, A voice says, Cry out mightily. And declare that God is coming. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Who will be our voice? God is asking. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are saying to one another, Whom shall we send? Who will be our messenger? And Isaiah answers, Here am I. Send me. That is the response, the same response that Isaiah is now exhorting others to have. When he says to all of the people in Jerusalem, get up on a high hill and raise your voice. And from this passage, we too learn to raise our voice, for we were commanded by the one who came to go and to be his witnesses. So the main point of the passage is that the world needs to hear the voice of the gospel. So I want to look at verses 3 through 11 and ask two questions. Who are the messengers and what is their message? Who are the messengers and what is their message? Well, the first voice and the first message is found in verses 3 through 5 and it is the voice of Messiah's forerunner. And his message is, prepare for the coming of the Lord, verses 3 through 5. A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up. Let every mountain and hill be made low. Let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This will happen. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. First thing I want you to notice about these verses is who the text says is coming. Who is coming? A voice is calling out in the wilderness, get ready, and get ready for whom? And the text says, clear the way for the Lord 
make smooth a highway for our God. The one who is coming is God himself. Clear the way for the Lord. You see in your English translations that Lord is capitalized. That means the Hebrew text here has the sacred name of God, Yahweh. Clear the way for Yahweh. Make ready for the arrival of our God. The Messiah who is going to come is God himself. If you want evidence of the deity of Christ, compare Isaiah 40 verse 3 with Matthew chapter 3, which says this was fulfilled when John the Baptist announced the coming of Jesus. Who's coming? Yahweh our God. How is it fulfilled? John the Baptist pointed at Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the message of the forerunner is that we must prepare for the coming of Yahweh. In the ancient world, if a king was planning to visit a certain city or town in his kingdom, a messenger called the forerunner would be sent ahead of the king. This is someone who literally would run ahead of the king's convoy. And he would be shouting as he came through every little village and town, the king is coming, make his way smooth. And the people were to come out of their houses and to prepare the road for the king. Why did they have to prepare the road for the king? Well, you know, in those days, people raised animals. That's how they were transported. So the roads would be filled with dung. The roads would have rocks on them. The roads would have potholes on them. And so the job of the forerunner was to come and say, make the way for the king smooth. Fill in the potholes. Clear out the rocks. Remove the dung. And then get ready to greet the king. Isaiah says that before Messiah comes, there will be a forerunner sent to do just that. Remove the obstacles. Remove the barriers. Be ready to greet the king. And the one who is coming is not any ordinary king, but the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So the level of preparation must correspond to the one who's coming. And so the text says that not only must the rocks be removed and the potholes filled in, but the valleys themselves must be filled in and even the hills removed and the road broadened to a wide plain. In other words, the preparations that must be made for the divine king should be world-shaping. I want to ask you if your preferred candidate, the one you like, were to win the next election, whoever that man or woman is. And so now this person that you like is president of the United States and someone knocks on your door in a suit with a little wire and says, president's coming to visit you in 15 minutes. Would you go back to watching reruns of the Andy Griffith show? Or would you, because it is Michigan, run out to your garage, grab the snow shovel, and clear a path? 
throw down some salt, rush back inside, wipe the sweat off, throw on your best clothes. You know, if, if you're, you know, if you're me, you know, pick up whatever you had tossed on the floor earlier in the day. Would you prepare? Or would you just like, yeah, you know, when he comes, I'll kind of respond then. You know, many people who claim to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ are making zero preparations for his arrival. They're not preparing their hearts. They're not preparing their lives. They're not preparing their family lives. They are content to have the road of their life strung with the animal dung of sin, to have their homes in complete disorder spiritually, to have their hearts filled with all sorts of wickedness and idolatry. And they say, well, you know, hey, you know, when the end times come, I mean, I'll get ready then. And Jesus repeatedly said, you don't know the day or the hour. You need to be ready. You don't know when the king will come. Be prepared now. The Messiah's forerunner was to prepare for the coming of the Lord and as I mentioned in Matthew chapter 3 verses 1 through 3 this prophecy is said to have been specifically fulfilled by John the Baptist. Let me read to you Matthew chapter 3 verses 1 through 3. Now in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea saying repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So Isaiah 40 verse 3 says that the forerunner will announce the coming of Yahweh and all four gospels say that that prophecy was fulfilled in John's announcement that Jesus was coming. So as I mentioned, this is a powerful proof of the deity of Jesus. Yahweh our God is coming. A forerunner is going to come in the wilderness to say, get ready. And that's exactly what John the Baptist was sent to do. Well, what kind of preparations did John the Baptist tell the people to make for the Messiah's arrival? How were they to prepare? And the message is very simple, repent. Repent. That's how you prepare for the coming of the Lord. Repent. What clears the dung out of your life? Repentance. Repentance. What gets your house and your heart and your home ready for the king? Repentance. Repentance. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. How do you get ready for Jesus' return? You know, some people are like, you know, they, you know, they kind of see some of these events in the end, end times and what do they do? What do they do to prepare? Well, they run out and, you know, they buy some extra food to store in their basement. They you know, they go to kind of buy some of this, you know, kind of prep for the crisis type of things. Nothing wrong with that, as long as it doesn't get out of hand. But you know what most people don't do? Listen, when things in the world cause you to think, then times could be coming. The number one way to prepare is repentance. You want to be a prepper? Prep with repentance. Go out and buy yourself a big dose of sorrow for sin and of change. 
Store that in your basement and in your heart. Sin is like a mountain of garbage and it needs bulldozed. It's like a valley filled with sewage. It needs to be drained. Repentance clears the way for the Lord's arrival. That was the message of John the Baptist. The forerunner who was sent to announce the Lord's first coming. Now there's another biblical prophecy that tells us there will be a second forerunner, another forerunner, the prophet Elijah, who Malachi chapter 3 says will be sent to announce the second coming of Christ in the book of Malachi over several chapters it speaks of this second forerunner. Elijah the prophet one of only two men who didn't die but were taken directly to heaven the book of Revelation says in the end times there will be two witnesses who come and their job will be to preach the gospel and to prepare the world for the second coming of Christ like John the Baptist the message of Elijah in the end times will be repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand so this message of repentance was first shared prophetically in the time of Isaiah 700 years before Christ it was then declared in fulfillment of that prophecy by John the Baptist at the first coming and it will be preached by Elijah before the second coming and so this is a message for all generations repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand prepare for the coming of the king Jesus himself preached what, what message? Repent and believe the good news for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So that's the first voice, the Messiah's forerunner, and the first message, get ready, Jesus is coming soon. Second voice, and the second message is in verses six through eight, and that's the voice of Messiah's messenger or his prophet, and the message is this, only the word of God stands forever, verses six through eight. A voice says, call out. Then I answered, what shall I call out? All flesh is grass and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Only the word of God stands forever. If you remember a few weeks ago, we mentioned that one of the common tactics that evil powers have used throughout history to try to intimidate God's people into compromise or capitulation or just to stay silent is by telling them, you're on the wrong side of history. You need to get on the, wrong, the right side of history. So if you're in the early church, put yourself in the position of someone in the early church. This is a tiny band of believers and you live in a world in which the Roman Empire is conquering land after land and the Roman Emperor has virtually absolute power and there's a cult that has developed around the Roman Empire that says that he is a son of the divine and so you're supposed to burn incense to the Emperor and you're a Christian in those days and all around you people are telling you your friends and your loved ones look just burn the incense to the emperor get on the right side of history can't you see that the whole world is going to worship the Roman emperor the whole world is under the control of the Russian emperor get on the right side of history let me ask you this how many people are worshiping the Roman emperor today they're grass 
They're vapor. They arise, they seem strong, and then death does what death does. It sweeps them away, and they are gone like the grass of the field. All created beings are finite, frail, and mortal, but the word of God is unchanging, indestructible, and eternal. The scripture says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Jesus said, Not one jot or tittle will pass away until all has been fulfilled. The word of God stands forever. Isaiah's message is clear. We should not put our trust in the transient words of men. We should put our trust in the eternal word of God. God's word will stand unchanged and unchallenged long after all the Bible critics in our generation have literally turned to dust in their graves. The critics and opponents of the past, the emperors who tried to wipe out the scriptures, the communists who tried to wipe out the scriptures, they're all now nothing but dust. And the word of God stands and will forever. So be on the right side of history. This is the right side of history because it is his story. James said, your life is just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So make sure you invest your life in fulfilling the commandments that God has given us in scripture. You know, we tend to think that people have lived to a ripe old age if they reach 80 or 90, some even 100. That's a ripe old age. You know, that's a ripe old age like, you know, the shriveled apple in the bottom of your fruit drawer is a ripe old apple. (laughs) We're transient. We are mortal. 80, 90, 100 years is a hairbreadth in history. We're like grass. All flesh is like the grass. Like the flowers that will bloom in Israel and then the hot winds that sweep across the Negev will wither them in a single day so we too will soon be withered and then gone death is coming and after that comes judgment are you ready are you ready are you prepared to meet the Lord when the breath of the Lord blows on you and your flower fades will you be ready If not, then you need to hear the message in the third and final section of this passage, which is in verses 9 through 11, the voice of Messiah's city. Believe the good news. Believe the good news. Verses 9 through 11. Get yourself up on a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news. Lift up your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with might, with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom and he will gently lead the nursing ewes. The third messenger is the holy city of Jerusalem. I want you to recall the history of Jerusalem. Jerusalem in ancient times was the city of Melchizedek, 
priest of the Most High who blessed Abraham. It was the city of David where the temple and the Shekinah glory of God dwelled. It is where Jesus the Messiah made atonement for sin and rose from the dead. It is where the first Christian church was and it was from Jerusalem that the gospel went to Judea, Samaria and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. And Jerusalem will be where Christ returns. He will descend on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem. He will enter through the eastern gate and he will go to the Temple Mount. Jerusalem will be the capital of the Messianic Kingdom. So it is impossible to think of the city of Jerusalem without being reminded of the key events of redemptive history. The covenant with Abraham, the covenant with David, the filling of the temple with the Shekinah glory of God, the cross of Christ and his resurrection, and the command given to the disciples to take the gospel and to be the Lord's witnesses to the very ends of the earth. And then, of course, the second coming. You can't think of Jerusalem without thinking of those things. And that is why Zion, Jerusalem, is the bearer of good news. Jerusalem has always stood as a beacon of light and of hope to the nations. And that is why it has also always been a target of demonic hatred and of conquest throughout history. That's why the Psalms exhort us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm going to read you from Psalm 122, verses 6 through 9. If you're wondering, how do, as, a, as a Christian believer, how do I respond to these events that I'm seeing and observing? What should the Christian response be? Well, I think Psalm 122 tells us how to respond. Psalm 122.6 says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. What does it mean to pray for the peace of Jerusalem? Well, the prayer is listed right here. It says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and here's the prayer. May they prosper who love you. May peace be within your walls and prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brothers and my friends, I will now say, may peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Let that text guide your prayers. But as we go back to Isaiah 40, I want you to notice that twice Jerusalem is said to be the bearer of good news. The bearer of good news. Fruchtenbaum notes that the root of the Hebrew word used here is the modern Hebrew word for the gospel. Jerusalem is a bearer of the good news of the gospel. So the third messenger is the holy city of Jerusalem itself. And the message which was to be declared from Jerusalem to the cities of Judah, to Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth is the gospel. That is the message that has sounded forth from Jerusalem. That message centers on the arrival and the coming of the divine Son of God, the Messiah. Verse 9, say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Verse 
and verse 10 emphasizes that point, stating that the coming Messiah will be no mere man, for Yahweh himself is the one who will come. Verse 10, behold, the Lord God will come. And the Hebrew terms here are Adonai and Yahweh. Yahweh the Lord. Behold, Yahweh the Lord will come. This coming divine Lord will come, verse 10 says, with might. With might. And he will reward the faithful and recompense the unfaithful. Notice it says his reward is with him, but his recompense goes before him. That's exactly what will happen when Christ returns. He will first enter into judgment and he will separate the sheep from the goats and then he will reward the believing faithful. So verse 10 reminds us that we need to make sure that we are preaching Christ and the whole counsel of God to people. Verse 11 is going to describe to us the Lord our shepherd as being gentle and lowly, tender and merciful, a loving shepherd. But don't forget that verse 10 tells us that he is a king and the judge of the living and the dead who will rule and reign. Jude 14 says, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds which they have done in an ungodly way of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. He's coming to execute judgment. In his first coming, he came to give his life as a sacrifice for sin. But listen to how he comes the second time. Revelation 19, 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. How many times have you heard people say, Jesus doesn't judge anyone? No, actually he judges everyone. In righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. And the armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword so that with it he may strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus is coming again. And when he does... He will come as the judge and as the ruler of all the earth. As Isaiah 40 verse 10 says, he will come with might. Are you ready? Are you ready? That brings us to verse 11. And the amazing thing is that this mighty king who is coming to judge the living and the dead who will rule with a rod of iron. He is also a God of grace and he is the good shepherd. Verse 11, like a shepherd 
he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. These are such precious words. The mighty king is the good shepherd. He gathers lambs in his arms. He holds them close to his heart. He tenderly and gently leads them. Are you part of the world which will be judged or the flock which will be nurtured? I want to briefly describe each of the verbs used in verse 11. It says that he tends, he gathers, he carries, and he leads. The good shepherd tends his flock. Hebrew term used here means to care for all the needs of the sheep. It describes providing nourishment, safe pasture, personal care. In some contexts, this word is even used to describe the companionship of, of a dear friend who is always there for you. Jesus promised to be with us always, even to the end of the age. And as a good shepherd, he tenderly cares for us. Second verb used is gathers. He gathers the lambs in his arms. This describes how a good shepherd would go into the fields and find the little lambs who had wandered away from the flock. He'd find them trapped in a thicket or having fallen into some hole and he would rescue them and he would pick them up and he would carry them back to the flock and nurture them. Jesus said that the good shepherd leaves the 99 sheep to go search for the one lost, that one little lamb that he loves. He gathers them in his arms. Third verb is the word carries. He carries the lamb's in his bosom, near to his heart. Those who are too weak to walk, he carries. He carries them. He doesn't despise their weakness. He carries them and carries them close to his heart. Perhaps you are feeling like you don't have strength to go on. You probably don't. But the good shepherd carries lambs close to his heart so take courage take heart and rest in the embrace of your savior he will carry you through whatever you're going through he will carry you close to his heart fourth verb is the term leads it's a term which describes gentle and tender guidance he leads the sheep, but he leads them gently. And he especially leads in a gentle way a certain part of his flock. It says he gently leads the nursing ewes, the mommies of the flock. It's interesting that it says he tends for the whole flock, but he has a special heart for the lambs and for the nursing mothers. This is a shepherd who understands the helplessness of the lamb. This is a shepherd who understands the exhaustion of the mother. 
that those caring for little ones are often exhausted, worn out, in danger of falling behind the flock because they're tending for the little ones and they can't keep up. The good shepherd doesn't leave the lambs behind. He doesn't leave the nursing mothers behind. The nursing ewes and their little lambs are precious in his sight. And so when he sees the exhausted mother and the struggling lamb, he goes and he picks up the lamb and holds it close to his heart and then he tenderly leads that exhausted mother to rejoin the flock and continue to green pastures. To the mothers, you have an exhausting role, 24-7. The nursing mothers haven't slept more than a couple hours in as long as you can remember. Your shepherd gently leads you. He gently leads through postpartum depression. He gently leads through the 3 a.m. exhaustion. And he carries the lambs. What a savior we have. He is indeed a good shepherd. The question again is, do you know him and are you part of his flock? If you don't know him, the message of the forerunner is for you, repent. The message of Jesus Christ is for you, repent and believe the good news. It is good news that the shepherd has come and he has laid down his life for the sheep. And he has risen from the dead to break the power of death. That power that sweeps over us like a hot wind over grass. And sweeps us away. That power has been conquered by the cross and the empty tomb of Christ. So repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ. Messiah, the good shepherd. If you do know him, I have a few application questions for you. Have you prepared your heart and your life for the return of the Lord? What we're seeing on the news is not the fulfillment of biblical prophecy, but it is part of the wars and rumors of wars that should get our attention and remind us to be ready because the Lord could come at any moment. Are you prepared? Secondly, are you studying and applying his eternal word? Is your heart and mind focused on temporary passing things or is your heart and your mind and your life focused on the eternal word of God which stands forever and third are you using your voice to declare the good news to the nations are you using your voice this world needs to hear a voice calling behold your God who's coming with might and who is the loving shepherd who tends for the flock, carries the lambs, and gently leads the nursing mothers. Lord, we want to thank you that you are the good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Lord, it is your presence which drives away all fears. Lord, it is not the absence of danger nor the absence of trouble that calms our hearts, but it is your presence. 
even though I do walk through the valley of even the shadow of death, I will not fear any evil because you are with me. Thank you, our good shepherd, for being present with us. Help us to be a voice to the nations. They oh so desperately need the good news. Use us to bring it to them, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.